0: Hey everybody, welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and today I'll be talking about the one, the one and only Joe Franklin, the one and only Dr. Zismore, the one and only Crazy Eddie, uh, the Whiz, uh, the Grand Prospect Hall, and more from my illegitimate thinking process. But first, we have to see our good friend Richie Ornstein, Morris Katz, the world's fastest painter, who used uh, tissue paper and toilet paper to create his paintings? And one of the great voices in amateur opera in New Jersey. And I will spend the next 20 minutes showing photographic reproductions of sheet music covers from the turn of the 20th century. There was always a blue ribbon paddle or an all star paddle or something of outsized significance in every single episode of The Joe Franklin Show. His sponsor was Martin Paints, and it seems that Martin Paints has gone the way of all things. He had guests ranging from Jay Giles Band doing a special appearance where they formed a human pyramid while wearing jumpsuits and had paint dumped all over them, to uh, Ghostbusters, to Spinal Tap, who, uh, in their recollections, all doubted that he was aware that they were actually uh, uh, actors. Albeit musically talented actors, they were all actors pretending to be a band. He was the single most effusive, ebullient, stumbling, bumbling, optimistic, enthusiastic man I have ever heard talk about Eddie Cantor and Al Jolson frequently using one of his very old jokes about the dashing young host. Dashing for the subway, dashing for the streetcar. If he's making jokes about streetcars, and it's in the 80s or the 90s, that's an idea of how old his jokes were. But you had to love Joe. I would, on occasion, see people I knew on Joe Franklin. My favorite Joe Franklin quote came from Michael Musto, who I think was on a panel. I don't know if it was a blue ribbon or an all-star panel, but he he asked a trailblazing medical researcher, an HIV AIDS pioneer, Dr. Matilda Krim. Dr. Matilda Krim, your thoughts on macrame? And that was the kind of question Joe would ask. Suddenly just something would hit him like a bolt of lightning out of the blue and had absolutely zero relevance to the context of the guest, the subject matter, the the sentence that they were speaking. He would just burst into conversation and ask questions like this. From Ghostbusters to Bette Midler and Barry Manilow to Barbara Streisand to Bing Crosby to John Wayne to Bill Cosby and Woody Allen Eddie Cantor and Al Jolson, Joe, was one of a kind. Watching his show was like allowing yourself to be hypnotized. After you were really high, tired, or anything else than you had already seen the Willoughby episode of The Twilight Zone and the old Muck and episode of The Honeymooners and the Tholian Webb on Star Trek and Roy Clark playing guitar on The Odd Couple, if you wanted to see somebody absolutely thrilled to death, totally enthralled, listening to Dorothy Lamore talk about the road movies with Bob Hope and Bing Crosby and Anthony Quinn, he would show respect and insert some sort of emphasis in his questions that never quite seemed to match the subject matter or relevancy, but you had to love them. While your mind was in the netherworld between sleep and consciousness, you had a friend in Joe Franklin. At the same time, if you were up, there was a very good chance that you saw TV ads for S.M. Rose Chevrolet, especially during the Mary Tyler Moore Bob Newhart rerun Two and a Half Hours from 1.30 a.m. to 4 a.m. That was on WNBC I think it was after Letterman was over, an hour and a half of Mary Tyler Moore reruns, followed by one hour of Bob Newhart reruns, which is where the High Bob drinking game originated. Because between 3 and 4 a.m., Bob Newhart would be on TV, and if you happened to be in a bar or a pub and you wanted to play the Bob Newhart game, all you had to do was have the bartender turn the TV on to Channel 4... And every single time somebody said, Hi, Bob, you had to take a drink. That was the essence of the Bob Newhart or the Hi, Bob drinking game. Now, aside from S.M. Rose Chevrolet and Bob Newhart and Mary Tyler Moore, uh, on the Joe Franklin Show, there was frequently ads for everything from Martin Paints to... Uh, You'd see an ad maybe for Action Park, Crazy Eddie, who turned out to actually be really crazy with prices so low, he's practically giving them away and prices so low, they are insane. We all know that nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. If you went to Randazzo's Clam Bar, it was in Emmons Avenue in Sheep's Head Bay and not so fast roll-and-roaster, the not-so-fast fast-food restaurant. They had inexpensively made television advertisements, and they would be on TV late at night. As much as I loved all those other experiences, Joe was the centerpiece, and there was absolutely nobody but nobody like Joe Franklin. So from the Paley Center, there was a documentary 50 million Joe Franklin fans can't be wrong. This documentary explores the long and diverse career of radio and television show host Joe Franklin. The program includes an interview with Franklin, interspersed with clips of his radio and television shows, and interviews with fans, media critics, and previous guests on his shows. The introduction describes Franklin's career, which spans over 43 years and includes 300,000 interviews. Author Francine Schiff likens Franklin to a missionary who eases people through talk shows, and a Franklin fan named Sonny Zook calls him clairvoyant. Franklin discusses his idols and his introduction to the radio business, followed by clips of his television interviews with Tony Curtis, Joey and Marky Ramone, Diane Cilentro, and Fran Lee, missus Fixit. Following these clips is an excerpt of a Saturday Night Live spoof of Franklin by Billy Crystal and musical performances by Weird Al Yankovic and They Might Be Giants. Next, media critics Columnists John Fine and Marvin Kitman describe the qualities that gave Franklin a lasting presence in broadcasting, and Franklin calls himself a rock of Gibraltar in a changing world. Kitman attributes part of Franklin's success to the wild mix of celebrities and random characters on his shows, illustrated by clips of his programs, with guests ranging from Mrs. Babe Ruth, to Bill Cosby, in addition to completely unknown performers, Franklin's remarks on his approach to broadcasting and life in general, and the difference between working as a television and a radio personality. The program concludes with footage of his book signing for Up Late with Joe Franklin, which includes several fans' comments on the high esteem that audiences have for the talk show host. My absolute favorite segment on Joe Franklin, which I don't think I ever saw on Joe Franklin, but actually played in a kiosk in a video in a mall in Manhattan, was Gilbert Gottfried being a guest on the Joe Franklin show, accompanying Joe to his vault of memorabilia. And of course, Gilbert just picks up random pieces of memorabilia, uses them as props, makes jokes about them, and then concludes by pretending that he is in some sort of twilight zone himself where he is going to be switching places or being caught and trapped in one of the record album covers (laughs) while screaming Joe's name over and over again. And it kind of fit because that's exactly how people felt about Joe Franklin. I did anyway. By James Brown in January of 2015. Joe Franklin, who became a New York institution by presiding over one of the most compellingly low-rent television programs in history, one that even he acknowledged was an oddly long-running parade of has and yet to bees interrupted from time to time by surprisingly famous guests, died on Saturday in a hospice in Manhattan. He was 88. A short, pudgy performer with a sandpapery voice that bespoke old fashioned show business razzle dazzle, Mr. Franklin, the star of The Joe Franklin Show, was one of local television's most enduring personalities. He took his place behind his desk and in front of the camera day after day in the 1950s and night after night in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. It's not like Joe was ever seen as a party animal. In 1993, he said that he had hosted more than 300,000 guests in his more than 40 years on the air. Another way to have interviewed that many people would have been to go to Riverside, California or Corpus Christi, Texas and talk to everyone in town. He may have been exaggerating, but whatever the number, it was impressive. And although he never made the move from local television in New York to the slicker, bigger realms of networks, he was recognizable enough to have been parodied by Billy Crystal on Saturday Night Live and mentioned on The Simpsons. And uh, everybody I know, if you did a Joe Franklin impression, they would counter with their Joe Franklin impression because if they had seen him, that means they were up at one point during the late evening and they were hypnotized and they had to watch it. What came to be considered Campy began as pioneering programming. The first regular program that Channel 7 had ever broadcast at noon, WIZ-TV, as the station was known then, had not been signing on until late afternoon before the premiere of Joe Franklin, Disc Jockey, on January 8th, 1951. Soon celebrities like Elvis Presley, Bing Crosby, and John F. Kennedy were making their way to the dingy basement studio on West 67th Street, a room with hot lights that was twice the size of a cab, Mr. Franklin recalled in 2002. He booked Woody Allen, Dustin Hoffman, Barbara Streisand, Bill Cosby, and Liza Minnelli as guests when they were just starting out and hired two other young performers, Bette Midler and Barry Manilow, as his in-house singer and accompanist. My show was often like a zoo, he said in 2002. i mixed Margaret Mead with the man who whistled through his nose or Richard Nixon with the tap-dancing dentist. He did. Mr. Franklin claimed a perfect attendance record. He said he never missed a show. Bob Diamond, his director for the last 18 years of his television career, said that there were a few times in the days of live broadcasts when the show had to start without Mr. Franklin, But Mr. Franklin always got there eventually. And he always seemed to have a gimmick. He celebrated his 40th anniversary on television by interviewing himself using a split-screen arrangement. I got a few questions I'm planning to surprise myself with, he said before he began. Had he asked himself, he could have told viewers that he was born Joe Fortgang in the Bronx. He explained in his memoir, Up Late with Joe Franklin written with R.J. Marks, that his press materials had long said he had been born in 1928. But I'm going to come clean and admit that my real birth date was March ninth, 1926. He was the son of Martin and Anna Fortgang. His father was a paper and twine dealer who had gone to public school with James Cagney. By the time he was twenty-one, he had a new name, a radio career, a publicist, and a too-good-to-be-true biography invented, he wrote in Uplate, by a publicist. In that book, he denied an anecdote that appeared in many newspaper articles about him. He had met George M. Cohan in Central Park when he was a teenager. That led to a dinner invitation from Mr. Cohan, who let him pick a recording from his collection and take it home, or so the story went. It never happened, Mr. Franklin wrote in Uplate, But a real invitation to pick records was his big break. He had been the writer for the singer Kate Smith's 1940s variety program, which featured guests like Clark Gable, Myrna Lloyd, and Edward G. Robinson, all my childhood heroes. When the radio personality Martin Block hired him to choose the records played on Block's Make Believe Ballroom, on WNEW. Block arranged for Mr. Franklin to go on the air with a program called Vaudeville Isn't Dead. After stops at several other stations in the 1950s, Mr. Franklin settled in at WOR in the mid-1960s with his Memory Lane program, that big late-night stroll for nostalgics and memorabiliacs, as he described it. Boy, oh boy, was it. He was both. He owned a shoe of Greta Garbo's, a violin of Jack Benny's, and a ukulele of Arthur Godfrey's, not to mention 12,500 pieces of sheet music and 10,000 silent movies. His office was several rooms of uncatalogued clutter, first in Times Square, later on 8th Avenue and 43rd Street. You know, I was a slob, he said in 2002. If you had ever seen any photographs of Joe's office, it was absolutely like an episode of Hoarders. Mr. Franklin met his wife when she applied for a job as his secretary. Soon, they were being mentioned in gossip columns. Dorothy Kilgallen wrote that we were waxing amorous, he wrote in up late. Walter Winchell, God, these names are so old. Walter Winchell queried in his column, What radio voice with initial JF seen round town with model Lois Meriden? Soon, she was attending his 6.30 a.m. broadcasts. Lois made faces at me through the control room window, wiggling her ears and her nose. Mr. Franklin wrote in Uplate, They were married on a television show called Bride and Groom. Off camera, he wrote in 1995, Things weren't going right. It's been like that for 40 years. He added, Lois is happy. I'm happy. I live in New York. She lives in Florida. After his television show was canceled in 1993, Mr. Franklin repeatedly tried to cash in on his fame and his collection of memorabilia. In 2000, he lent his name to a 160-seat restaurant on 8th Avenue at 45th Street. Eventually, it became a chain restaurant with Joe Franklin's Comedy Club in the back. Later, the restaurant and the Comedy Club closed, and in 2002, he sold some of his memorabilia at auction. I am pretty sure the location of that restaurant is now a Shake Shack. He continued to do a late-night radio show on the Bloomberg Radio Network almost to the end. Mr. Garen said Mr. Franklin's Tuesday show was the first scheduled broadcast he had missed in more than 60 years. His survivors include his son, Bradley Franklin, a sister, Madeline Kestenbaum, two grandchildren, and his longtime companion, Jody Fritz. On television, Mr. Franklin did not like to rehearse, and he never used cue cards or prompters. The opening monologue and the questions were all in his head. I was the only guy who never had a pre-production meeting, he said in 2002. You don't rehearse your dinner conversation. I'm not saying I was right, but I lasted 43 years. Wikipedia talks about Joe's guests. Franklin's guests included an eclectic mix of actual celebrities and low-level performers, sometimes on the same panel. I love the panel. He claimed to have had Charlie Chaplin on his program, a dubious statement since Chaplin left the United States in 1952, shortly after Franklin's TV debut. Could have happened, but there's no proof. Franklin took credit for discovering or giving early exposure to Al Pacino, Bette Midler, Barbara Streisand, Michael Jackson, Garth Brooks, and Woody Allen. He interviewed Andy Warhol and Howard Stern, William F. Buckley and Abby Hoffman, Jack Lelane and Muhammad Ali, Fred Astaire and John Wayne. Other guest claims include Judy Garland, Marilyn Monroe, with whom Franklin co-authored the Marilyn Monroe story in 1953. Jane Mansfield, the Beastie Boys, Cary Grant, Sam Levine, Lena Horne, Tony Bennett, Salvador Dali, Rudy Valley, Jimmy Durante, Madonna, John Lennon and Yoko Ono, Bing Crosby, Jerry Lewis, Roger Williams, the Belmonts. Elvis Presley, the Ramones, Lou Albano, and five U.S. presidents, including John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon. As with the Chaplin claim, some of these appearances were unable to be independently confirmed based on a lack of evidence, since still pictures taken on the set do not exist for several of the people listed and little video from before the 1970s survives. How about that? Elizabeth Joyce was his in-house psychic astrologer. Woody Allen, Andy Kaufman, Liza Minnelli, Barbara Streisand, Julia Roberts, Bruce Springsteen, Robin Williams, John Belushi, and Richard Pryor got their first television exposure on The Joe Franklin Show. Frank Sinatra reportedly appeared four times. Franklin frequently appeared at his restaurant, where he conducted live, in-person interviews with entertainers such as Carol Channing, Anita O'Day, and Billy Crystal, who impersonated Joe Franklin on Saturday Night Live, as has been mentioned before. In media, Franklin appeared as himself in such New York-based films as Ghostbusters, Broadway Danny Rose, and 29th Street. Franklin appeared on the first episode of This American Life, giving host Ira Glass advice on how to have a successful show. He was also a guest on an early episode of Space Ghost Coast to Coast. He also made appearances in various works by New York low-budget film company Troma Entertainment, making a cameo of himself in their 1999 meta-fictional slasher film, terror firmer, as well as the 1993 infomercial, The Trauma System, as the result of the commercial's host transforming into the ultimate talk show host. Franklin appeared as himself in comedian Tracy Ullman's 1993 HBO comedy special, Tracy Ullman Takes on New York, interviewing character Linda Granger on his talk show. On the locally produced program, The Uncle Floyd Show, Uncle Floyd host Floyd Vivino, parodied Franklin as Joe Frankfurter, and the sponsor was Martian Paints. All I can say is, I love Joe Franklin. But at the same time, we also had Dr. Zismore. Dr. Zismore uh, had an office on East 58th Street, uh, right off of Lexington Avenue. On the corner of Lexington and 58th was Victoria's Secret, And I I was going to a, a sports performance training gym in that building, and Dr. Zismore had a floor there. Now, if you're not from New York, and if you are of a certain age, you might not remember, but Dr. Zismore made a name for himself by advertising on the subway and late night television. And so many of his patients were so grateful to appear on the ads for Dr. Zismore, that they didn't feel they needed to rehearse saying, thank you, Dr. Zismore. So it came out kind of exuberant and not particularly articulate in some cases. But it was heartfelt, and everybody loved Dr. Zismore. He retired a few years ago, and I don't know where he went to, but everybody loved Dr. Zismore. And then, of course, there was the advertisements for the Grand Prospect Hall, uh, the taglines from the husband and wife who owned... The Grand Prospect Hall uh, always said, elegant yet affordable, and we make your dreams come true. And uh, it was uh, extremely popular for a very long time. And I've gone to a few pages in social media, and uh, son of a gun, so many people have very, very fond, special, sentimental memories of their experiences at the Grand Prospect Hall that it's hard to say anything less than complimentary about them. Joe Franklin was unlike anybody else. The thing about Joe Franklin, watching the Joe Franklin show, is you firmly, fully expected to just see some never was, never will be's, has been's, and suddenly sitting there talking to Joe would be a show business legend or Muhammad Ali. And you really would see them show up on his show, sitting there talking in a conversation with them. And they would virtually all thank Joe for giving them their first exposure on television. So I remember that being true. And uh, it was actually stunning to see Barbara Streisand or Bill Cosby or Woody Allen or John Wayne sitting there talking to Joe. And you just couldn't Stop shaking your head. They wouldn't be on The Tonight Show. Or if they were, it was a big deal. And meanwhile, this is the lowest of low-rent TV shows you can imagine. It was one step above uh, public access broadcasting. And, and it was just the greatest thing in the world. I love Joe Franklin. I always did. always well. And I wish there was some sort of approximation for Joe that exists now. I guess uh, TikTok is it. But uh, nothing will ever come close to Joe Franklin. Just the absolute greatest of all time. I will forever love Joe Franklin. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And as the kiddies say, peace out.